If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we'll talk to ESPN host and bona fide bachelor expert Sarah Spain about IndyCar driver Ari Lewandijk Jr. finding another way to wreck on TV even when he's not behind the wheel. And we will break down all the sports happenings that have nothing to do with sports from Kevin Love's emotional letter about mental health to Charles Barkley's uh, deleted scenes, I guess you would say, from Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago, and joining me on the phone this week is a respected, feared, and tall sports PR guy who has logged time with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Millard. Adam, how are you this mm-hmm. week, my friend? I'm tired, man. I'm tired. The NFL season doesn't really end. Well, I haven't been to the Combine in a while, but I went this year, and I was happy to go, and I'm glad I went. But it is, it's it's been a rough stretch, and we're not getting any younger, guys. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I'm using the seaweed wrap on my eyes every night, my friend. Also with us in Brooklyn, in our Brooklyn, New York bureau, it is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer Gareth Hughes. Gareth, you are super involved with March Madness, so just give us a taste of how much more difficult life becomes around the tournament. I've had to go into the office every day for three weeks, and it was killing me. I was like, "Oh, this is how everybody lives. My God. Um, but I'm actually really excited. I have a series of one to two minute essays that will be airing starting with the opening Thursday that I am doing with a, one of my favorite colleagues, uh, Sarah Rinaldi co-producing and Anthony Cortese, who has edited for us before will be editing. They are called deep brackets. So get ready for deep brackets. Nice, man. I was hoping it would be an essay about like, I don't know, like a Babbitt. No, no, it's, uh, yeah, we, but we try to make them as dorky as possible. One of our first is on gerrymandering. So, oh. yeah, get ready. Try to figure out the, and just basically about how it's in the news and every year the NCA committee redraws the entire nation, national map. Sounds like more libtard propaganda to me. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it Brad. features an elephant punching a donkey, dude. It'll be we try to go both sides. <laughs> hey, Brad, how are you doing? Uh, I'm fine, That's a man. Good question. I've got my, I've got my kids. Yeah, but you know what? You know what's really funny? 111 episodes in, someone's like, "How are you, man?" Yeah, I'm tired too, guys. <laughs> well, it, it's called. Pretty- it's called. It's called evolving. You're welcome. I have a pretty demanding. Was... I have a pretty demanding job too, and then I have a pretty demanding second job, which is you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that, we do this to escape the world, not to uh, dwell on it. So right now, we're going to take the open of the show and make it wide open. Anything around the world of sports that is not sports is fair game. Adam, you mentioned the combine. I think you had some more hot takes on that. What uh, what was Indianapolis like for you? Well, first of all, I'll say I love the combine in a, from a professional standpoint because it is Super Bowl without all the nonsense. And by that, I mean hmm. like no parties, um, like not a whole lot of crazy stuff going on. You just see – Football people, scouts and agents and coaches, uh, there to uh, sell their clients or to recruit new employees. And it's really cool. I don't know if you guys know this, 
but I used to work for the Packers. And, oh. Uh-huh. Hey, wait, and hold on. Have you logged time with them? I've logged time with the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> among other places. So I saw Global Al Harris. Sports friends. I saw Al Harris, who is uh, now a defensive backs for defensive backs coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Marquan Manuel, the defensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons, who played safety for the Packers. Another safety, Curtis Fuller, who's the DB coach for. Um, the Carolina Panthers. I saw Kevin Green, who's now working for the Jets. And it's awesome that these guys kind of walk around Indy and nobody recognizes them. Like Kevin Green went into the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago and walks through a restaurant and no one really hassles him. We walked by Bill Belichick in uh, a hall of a convention center and no one's hassling him. So it's a really cool experience. Um, Gareth, I had drinks with Don Banks um, for a couple hours on Friday night and he quirky friend of pod he said he was really tickled to read your I think you tweeted about that and he was like well I didn't mean that your show is quirky just that my particular interview was and I was like no no you have it right quirky <laughs> des describes the podcast so I'm fascinated by a couple things fans will literally watch anything. So now the bench press. So Combine, um, when I used to go, was not there was no uh, consumer element of it. And now they open it to about 5,000 attendees. There is an NFL experience like you see at Super Bowl, um, but it's at the Combine. And part of that is where the players go and do their bench press. So there's actually stands where people can watch guys do the bench press, um, and it's packed. The bench press, like how applicable is that to the field? Or there was an offensive lineman who ran an incredibly slow 40 time, and it was big news, until you realize this guy's never going to run 40 yards in his entire <laughs> career. Well, um, Adam, to that it's, I... It's fascinating. Adam, to that I have one, one thing to say. Do you even lift, bro? <laughs> I mean, I, I deadlift occasionally. <laughs> it's just, it never ceases to fa to fascinate me. Like you, you line these guys up by position, you slap a number on them, and then you give them a set of instructions to follow. And that's the job interview. I want to weigh in on this a little bit. Like we're a few years into this show about, athletes being well-rounded people and more than an athlete has been a pretty big topic in the news. And at the same time, like every year coming out of the dra or out of the combine, like you go to pro football talk an hour ago and a team asked Darius Geis if he likes men. And there's a huge news right. story about if Josh Rosen can manage having political views and being a quarterback and it's like man i feel like i feel like the nfl g it can be a very retrograde league but the combine is their one opportunity of the year to just like wear it on their sleeve and just be like yeah really open about it i agree with that because the questions that you hear about them getting asked are ridiculous like i remember even isn't asking a dude if he's into men like illegal yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And, I, and I think at the end of the day, like, I agree that the, these guys' merits on the field should be carrying the day, uh, except for, you know, like, if there's real character questions. But it does feel like as though we've gotten more scientific about their performance as, as advanced analytics have have become in vogue we have now allowed like advanced douchebaggery to also become part of the process, <laughs> which is where you, yes. you ask questions like in a yellow light, do you accelerate or decelerate? And you're like, I don't know, man, <laughs> what road am I on? Like, but even yeah. a answering in that way just says all this crazy shit about you. I also think that this is, I, I don't mean to sound so cynical about it, but 
this is kind of what the league wants in the same way that yeah. college football wants debate about their national champion because it makes you think about college football. Like I do believe that like some of these stories leaking out of here might just be people fucking around and saying, yeah, talk about the combine. It's insane. But really we just want you to talk about the NFL. Like who cares? You right. know, because they're going to draft whoever they want yep. to quote Bill Belichick. No days off. No days off. Right. No days off. And I love the NFL draft. Like, Adam, actually, the fact the first time the three of us were ever in a room was in New York during the draft when Adam and I were working and Gareth came by and we all hung oh, yeah. out and just watched watched the draft and we watched ridiculous quarterbacks being taken way too high <laughs> who I won't name names, but Oh my God. Didn't you tell somebody in the elevator that Adam was like a running back from Illinois? DeMarco Murray. Marco no, Murray. DeMarco Murray. I, we were in the elevator and Adam, I was working, you know, hard and Adam was like piecing out to go to some party and he's all dressed up in the elevator going down. And I go, Oh my gosh, ladies, these two, these older ladies were there who were clearly from out of town. And I go, Oh my God, that's DeMarco Murray. <laughs> and I even said from the University of Texas, <laughs> I, I switched it up and I was like, DeMarco, I'm a huge Longhorn. Can you, we get a picture together? So we stepped out of the elevator and took a picture and then I got back in and as the door shut, you flipped me off. <laughs> yeah. I said, I fucking hate you for this. <laughs> That was good. That was good. All right. Well, you know, I guess to recap, um, uh, uh, do, do not draft the black quarterback is what Adam's saying. <laughs> well, there is only one black quarterback in the Hall of Fame, and you could cite a lot of reasons for that, but that is that is the truth. But to be fair, Brad, the year in question where we all met – there were a lot of quarterbacks drafted early on. One was black, and he's still in the NFL. And a lot of the white dudes that went off the board in that first round are playing golf somewhere. Was that the yeah. Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert year? It was sure the was. Cam Newton, Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert year when the the salary cap like reset. Yeah, but it was also the. To be fair, it was also the EJ Manuel year. <laughs> like I don't see. Look, I, I don't see color when it comes to sucking at quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> like if you, if yeah, you you're suck a Bengals at fan, dude. Yeah, I'm a Bengals fan, dude. I'm, I, David Klingler and Achilles Smith. <laughs> I'm an Ohio resident with family in both North and South. I don't see color when it comes to being a shitty quarterback, but that that's just me, I guess. Anyway, Gareth, uh, wide open. What's on your mind? I want to talk about. Um the recent run of, I don't know, confessionals and articles and coverage coming up about uh, mental health, specifically in athletes in the NBA. And there's been three guys like back to back to back to back. Uh, DeMar DeRozan talks about depression, his suffering from depression. Kevin Love then quickly wrote a piece, came out after that, wrote a piece for the Players' Tribune on... Um, dealing with anxiety attacks. And then Kelly Oubre of the Washington Wizards came out, talked about anxiety and depression. And the I think the thing that jumped out to me and why I wanted to bring it up was, first of all, these, especially Kevin Love, got a ton of coverage outside of sports, um, just crossing over into the mainstream. And then two, just to sort of discuss, like, this is another example basically of the nba i don't know taking the social leadership role in sports they seem to always be the most progressive league and you know this is just another example of that yeah uh i mean i think the really positive thing i think we all joke about uh joe reed when he's here and the millennial generation um but it's the millennial generation who's willing to talk about this vulnerability within sports uh and i think it is not only a huge step in terms of being able to talk about mental health um on the part of these guys but then you've had guys like lebron james um i wouldn't say come to defend kevin love because it's certainly uh there's certainly no shame in having anxiety attacks but he uh he really 
publicly supported him and a lot of the players involved in these stories have said like yeah hey we all have stuff and anxiety or um, mental health issues just happens to be some of that stuff uh, that everyone deals with at some point and so I, th- I thought it's really great to see um, the support around the NBA it feels like they're genuinely supported by their teammates and coaches um, and I think it's great too because there are still a lot of athletes who are living in the closet and we know some athletes have come out um, as as gay in the past couple of years um, but I think maybe this will open the door for some active players um, to be able to express that publicly as well and they should because it's a it's a really tough job you're in the public eye and you should at least be able to um, be who you are and and talk about yourself as a human being um, when it's appropriate. Uh, so I don't want to sound like I'm I, I'm being. I don't want to sound like I'm countering what you're saying. I, I I'm being I'm being my most Brad academic media person because I'm gonna read yeah. you a headline and a subhead, and the headline okay. is the stigma, and the subhead is we need to accept that mental illness is a disease. And the date on this is May 31st, 2017, and the author is Brandon Marshall of the NFL. And, uh-huh. The, the, uh-huh. And, the, and the story was in the Players' Tribune. And I feel like what's happening in sports right now, if I'm being very honest, is that players are coming out with these stories. And we're having sort of a micro-news cycle about it. And then we're forgetting all about it. And no one is connecting the dots. Because when you go back and you look at it, what you see is you see Jay Williams getting in a motorcycle accident and writing an entire book about being depressed and being suicidal. And there's a huge spike of media and he's even on our show. And then he's like, it's just compartmentalized. And then you see Michael Phelps talking about being depressed after he quits. And you see Brandon Marshall have a Players Tribune article. And then you see Kevin Love having a Players Tribune article. And you see thing after thing after thing and we have this discussion in a vacuum. How do we figure out how to carry some momentum behind these players coming out by themselves and saying mental health matters and don't forget about it when LeBron posts 50, 14, and 9 in two days? Does that make sense, guys? Like, Am I making sense? I'm not trying to seem callous. No, no. Listen, yeah. you brought up something that I wanted to get at with this. Like... I think there's a certain part of the current media cycle around this that's based around two things. One is, I think, players recognizing that this will work in volume. But outside of like a major sort of like explosive incident, which nobody really wants, you're not rooting for that. Like athlete mental health isn't going to have the sort of precipitating event that a lot of movements are. So I totally hear what you're saying, but we've had a lot of high profile athlete suicides we've had everyone from junior sale killing himself and getting a ton of like mourning and very public reception to that chiefs player killing himself in front of his entire coaching staff in the parking lot of the stadium and being almost forgotten overnight so there have been huge moments in sports as it pertains to mental health but they don't seem to be sticking Because in my opinion, the sports news cycle is so perpetual. Tomorrow, there's another game. There's another event. There's another moment. There's another highlight. It just doesn't seem to stick. So, Gareth, to your point, like, I'm not sure what is going to be that, short of Michael Jordan hanging himself and leaving a a, a 30-page Players' Tribune essay about it, I'm not sure what's going to stick and make people wake up and say, what are we doing about this? Well, but the other part of that in what you described is like you described precipitating events in football. That was the other thing I was that was my second point was literally that I think this is working in a different way simply because of the sport it's in. Number yeah, 1, exactly. I think basketball players because you can see their faces um, they're seen as more personal. I think it plays into the reputation of the NBA as being a more progressive league. Um, I also think that there's something to the idea that 
you know, basketball is a smaller fraternity. And I, and that's not to say that NFL players aren't rooting for each other or aren't fans, but like it's a longer season. There's less guys in the league. Um, I just think that, and I think frankly, the NFL, and this was before Trump, um, but the NFL has become so politicized that if you're talking about mental health, with a guy who killed himself and his fiance at a team facility, you're not talking about mental health. It's a referendum on concussions. And if you like the league and if you're a sissy who wants it to have rules that make it, the players aren't going to have brain damage the rest of your life. The mental health issues that we're talking about in the NFL are related to CTE um, in the large part, or at least there's, there's a, correlation if not causation and i do feel brad that 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 cte is a story that is not stopped um i don't feel that that is coming in waves that that is a story that you consistently i feel like every time i it may you may not see mental illness referenced in um in the nba or in baseball but i do think behavioral change and the effects of CTE is an ongoing story. So how do you make that the equivalent in those other sports? I'm not sure, but I do think at least there's there's talk about players' behavioral changes due to CTE, and, and we'll see where it goes in the others. I, I sometimes feel like we need to say, we don't care about the game. Are you cool? Like, right. are you cool? I, and and right. here's the thing, at the bar, at the at, at wherever you are, if somebody was like having a fight, you'd be like, "Hey, I don't care that we were having like a papa shot contest. Are you cool, man? Are you having a meltdown over this? Because like I'll let you win. Like human beings are good to each other when they're around each other. So don't be freaked out that these people make millions of dollars. Like if Kevin Love is a panic attack, just be like, I hope you're okay, man. I mean, there. So there, there's a lot of old school ideas about. Well, you start sending them to therapy, and uh, you're going to ruin their confidence. And and I I think that's what we have to realize. Exactly what you said, Brad. Is yeah, it might it might mess with them a little bit. But is it good for them as a human being in the long run? Um, and back to the discussion about the combine. Like, hey, I get it. It's a business. You want your employees to perform well, but any other good employer um, is offering top-of-the-line health care for every issue, physical or mental, and why we would treat our athletes any different, I, I don't understand. Adam, have you seen employee health care policies? <laughs> so. All right, my wide open is going to be really quick, guys. I just Charles Barkley hosted um, Saturday Night Live this week. And he did an, I, I, you know, look, I didn't watch, uh, but I, I saw it online. So I'm not sure if it actually aired during the show or if it was a deleted like sketch they were going to do. He, it was a whole Star Wars setup. And it mm -hmm. was Charles Barkley as the one guy who's like, how come everyone can understand these droids and these aliens? And <laughs> like, I'm going to have your money. I just need a little more time. <laughs> Yeah, well, look who's talking, pal. Thanks, but I don't date slugs. Man, how y'all speak so many languages? This is crazy. I only speak human. Really? Yeah, I mean, I can say, where's the school in Zorba? Nagatala. But that's about it. These aliens are talking to you in their language. You answer them back in our language. Everybody understands each other. Makes me feel stupid. How'd y'all learn all this? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are we laughing at? He too thinks he's a bit of a comedian today. Those beeps and stuff, that's him talking? I didn't know that. He's probably been trying to talk to me this whole time. I feel dumber than the dog guy. Hey, easy, Dog Tata. He was just joking. Wait, the dog guy talks too? Yes, and he speaks Shrywook. See, I don't even know what that is. I thought he was just making dog noises. Man, I've said a lot of stuff in front of him, private stuff. Worry about that later. I laughed my ass off watching it, not because Barkley was good in it, because he was not, but <laughs> like that's such a hilarious thought that I've always had my entire life. So kudos to whatever <laughs> motherfucker wrote that. 
And uh, <laughs> that is amazing. That is wide open for this week. Right now, we are going to go to an interview I got to do with Sarah Spain. You guys know Sarah Spain, ESPN reporter extraordinaire, frequent guest and panelist on Around the Horn and Dan Lebitard's TV show. Uh, contributes to SportsCenter, ESPNW. She's the host of That's What She Said, a really great podcast. Sarah, um, as you know, we've worked with her in the past. She's been on the show once before talking Bachelor. So I had to bring her back to break down and give her expert analysis of Ari Lewandyke Jr.'s season and the, oh, I would say, much-talked-about finale where he dumped the woman that he proposed to and then proposed to the other uh, uh, finalist, which has everybody up in arms this week. So uh, as you know, you know, the sports world loves The Bachelor. It's a frequent point of conversation. So we, we, we felt like we were legally obligated to give it some run ourselves. And I was going to talk about it with Gareth and Adam, but, you know, not exactly in their wheelhouse. Had to bring in the big guns. So enjoy this, uh, this breakdown with Sarah. She's got a lot of great takes in the show, and she's always uh, quick with a really great opinion. And after that, we will be back to distract you. Stick around. Give us a little peek behind the scenes because... Um, you know, so many different ESPN personalities talk about the show. Do you guys make an effort to not talk about it in your daily lives, knowing that it may come up and you want the conversation to be fresh on the air? No, I would say that thus far, I've been unlucky enough that my my co-hosts are not Bachelor watchers. So, you know, I'm trying to talk about it with Jason Fitz before the show, and he says, I've never seen it. I talk, talk about <laughs> it with Izzy, and he says, I've never seen it, but I once went on a date with a girl who was on The Bachelorette or the bachelor. So, uh, so yeah, I, I've been unlucky in terms of my radio partners. And then, um, as you know, I'm in Chicago instead of Connecticut. So I'm not walking the halls and running into people who want to chat about it. Right. Um, also my husband, literally every time he walks in and that show is on, he goes, I can't believe you watch this every time. <laughs> I can't believe you watch this. And then he'll, he'll pause for like five minutes just to be like, this guy's terrible. Oh my God, this guy's boring. Yeah. You know, basically. And then, and then he storms off disappointed that he married me. So, I, well, then this should be catharsis for you because we can all <laughs> yes. all your hot takes are welcome. <laughs> there so we go. <laughs> let me let me start with this because there's a lot to talk about with the finale. But where I want to start is why why do you think they chose Ari? Because at the start of the season, I think everyone would have thought that last year's what Peter, the runner up or number yes. three, was probably smoking the, hot Peter. Yeah, that he was the consensus pick. Ari had not been on the show in quite a while. It, it was a real curveball. It seemed to anger a lot of people. Like, what do you think the mindset was with the show? Well, what's what they had said, I believe, was that unfortunately, when you get into multiple years and rounds of something like this, it becomes so big that it's hard to tell who wants to be involved because they're actually looking for love and who wants to get Instagram endorsements. Right. right? We have seen the fame that has come for so many people that have been on the show um, and at this point, it's really hard to tell whether those runner ups or anybody that's been on the show in the last couple of years is in it for the right reasons, as they say. So they thought by going back to Ari, who had been removed from it from quite some time and who hadn't really tried to dive in and take advantage of his of his stint on The Bachelor in a meaningful, you know, economical way, that he would be a guy that they could trust was in it for the right reasons. He was a little older. You know, he was less of like a playboy who would be just looking to get a, a bunch of tail. And unfortunately, <laughs> what we also heard about him was that he in the time that he was away from the bachelor was in fact a playboy yeah. and that was the real risk that they had run they said oh but i think he's ready now so we got these conflicting reports of like yes he's not trying to get instagram sponsorships but on the other hand he is a guy who doesn't seem to be able to settle down um and that ended up playing itself out at the end where i mean what was your take on him even before the finale how good of a bachelor or bad Terrible. of a bachelor was it yeah so if you were power, if you were power ranking the worst bachelors where would he fall on your list oh you know what i'd have to go back and look but i mean he's not as so there's the one season that i didn't watch was the lorenzo borghese one like oh, okay. i found him so annoying and uninteresting that i didn't even watch it um, I would also say Juan Pablo was terrible, yeah. although Juan Pablo was charming in a manipulative way. 
right? Yeah. So I didn't really want anyone to end up with him because I thought it was going to be bad. But I also was like, I can see why people are attracted to him. And like, he's got charm to him. Um, so I would say, man, I did not really like Byron Velvick. Not a big <laughs> fan of him. But I understood where they were going there. There were like slightly older people who want a second chance. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of boring ones that they've kind of spiced up, right? They try to make them look more interesting. I didn't like Matt Grant, the British one, because I could tell that he was kind of like a, a tool yeah. and that he was just going to pick the the llamas chick because of the fame it was going to get him, which it didn't actually. He never really played it out to anything that meaningful. Um, Jake Pavelko was a giant tool. Exactly. Um, yeah, he he and like, like Womack a giant are terrible. Loser. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say they're they would be up there because even someone like Chris souls, who was boring, there were parts of him that I thought, Oh, I understand why a woman would be interested in him. And like a nice, sweet, probably a school teacher, no offense to school teachers, but that's exactly the kind of person who would fall in love with Chris souls would end up, <laughs> you know? And so, um, I would say that Ari is somewhere he's above Lorenzo Borghese but he is unfortunately the thing is he's less of a tool than Jake Pavelka. He's just so boring. He doesn't say anything interesting. He's not funny. The way they had him tanned, which always made his Adam's apple, especially orange because it poked out, made right. him look like he had jaundice. Yeah. Uh, he looks completely unathletic, which doesn't do it for me, um, which is fine. If you don't want to be an athlete, that's fine. But you know, he just looks like someone who you could not go like rock climbing with or like, take a hike or do anything <laughs> athletic. He seems like he would just sit on the beach and watch you be athletic. Um, and then he just was so boring and nothing he said about the women was revelatory or interesting. It didn't feel like he knew them in ways that was special. And that's, that just, he lost me with boringness more so than being a tool. Although he was a, definitely a tool as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the true cardinal sins on the show are being boring. Although I, th I even, I think they make every of the bigger personalities kind of dial it down so much to be. Sort yeah. Of Cause a, then when you see them later, you're like, Whoa, they have, yeah. and they do that because they want them to be universally appreciable. Right. And they can, they, you know, if they, if they let them go out too far on a limb, somebody doesn't like someone who's sarcastic or whatever else. Exactly. And the other, I think the other big sin, even more than like, you know, you know, fooling around too much or being kind of a creep is indecision. And I like Juan Pablo famously wouldn't commit. Yep. He wouldn't say I love you, and and people really turned on him. And, and beyond his his commentary and that kind of stuff, I mean, that guy personally ruined a few weekends because I was doing a bachelor integration with one of my clients. <laughs> but um, but Ari, you can you can be boring and loving, or you can be exciting and sort of like like Womack, like you know, just right. Like, Juan Pablo was sort of exciting and non-decisive, whereas Ari is boring non-decisive and i truly believe he might be a sociopath <laughs> is that the right word or is it psych no psychopath is know. like a straight murderer i think a sociopath has no feeling for others yeah and i look like when he was breaking up with becca yes okay extreme antisocial attitudes behavior and a lack of conscience that's a sociopath i think he's a sociopath he literally seemed completely unmoved by the fact that he was telling three different women that he loved them didn't seem concerned at all about how that would affect them. Even when he was doing his confessionals and saying, like, she's not going to expect this at all. It didn't seem like he was worried about that. It seemed <laughs> right. like he didn't give a shit. And then when he broke up with Becca, he was, like, trying to make himself feel better by sticking around. And she was like, get out of here. He, it took him, like, an hour to say I'm sorry to Lauren when he didn't propose to her. I to definitely work. wanted to ask you about that because that's a creepy move. Is you break up with somebody and you just kind of loiter there and you're saying, yes. are you okay? And they're like, no, I'm clearly not. Get out. You're making that just about you. You're looking for totally. closure. There. Totally just about him. 100%. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was uncomfortable to watch because it's hard to watch people break up. But what was interesting is remember the moment between um, it was it was Rachel and Peter, right? Who like their breakup was so visceral because you knew that they like really had feelings for each other. Right. And he just wasn't ready to say, like, let's get married, which was totally made sense because they've been they'd known each other for two months. And then she was like desperate to, to like make him ante up and, and own up to like wanting that marriage right right away. And they were so in love and they were like so heartbroken. And both of them were bawling and they were like 
And in, in, in neither of Ari's breakups, either the first time he broke up with Lauren or when he broke up with Becca, did he seem remotely moved? Yeah. Okay. So here's my hot take, Sarah. I really liked it. Like I. What? I, okay. So here, here's where I'm going with this. I found Ari liked to be. what? Okay. I, I, I thought the actual breakup, the way it was filmed, was the most real moment I can oh, ever sure. remember on the show. Because even with Peter and Rachel breaking up, I kept wondering, okay, Peter, you know how this works, man. Like, you don't have to get married two weeks after the show's over. Like, you can delay, you can, you know, you can win the show if you want to retain the relationship. So, to me, I feel like that's more artificial than Ari just being out there. I guess, to me, that was the most real breakup. One person is ready to move on, the other person is not. They let the cameras roll for the first time, just sort of like, let's let it split screen play out on camera. And I guess I was I really thought the moment itself was it was a, a direction for the show that I'm like, I could get on board with this if they want to go more raw and real, but it seemed like that rawness made too many people too uncomfortable. Is that fair? Well, I actually agree with you. I think the rawness was really useful and meaningful to watch. I think the fact that Becca is in as the bachelorette and she seems not to be holding it against them, and she very smartly said, I signed up for this. The point of this show is to be followed around. Then that like made me feel like, okay, it, it felt voyeuristic, but she allowed it and she signed up for it. And it allowed all of us to make sense of what happened in a better way than if they just come out on the couch and said it didn't work out, right? Yeah. And it didn't work out and now I'm with Lauren. Wait, what, what? Like, and also this showed us who Ari really is. So while I agree with you that that particular device by The Bachelor was really smart, it doesn't take away from the fact that even if in a relationship one person might be ready to move on and the other isn't, so one might be significantly more distraught, he did not seem remotely hurt by her feelings. And the fact that right. he had just proposed to her, this was not a six-year relationship that ran its course and somebody had been thinking for quite some time about how they needed to find their way out. This was a hot and heavy, I just told you I loved you for the first time a month ago or whatever, a month and a half ago, I proposed to you. We took videos about how we're so happy and in love. And within the time of a month and a half, where you're usually still in complete infatuation mode, you've already shut off so much that you're not even emotionally reacting to hurting her. That was the difference for me. Not that he had to be distraught because it was clear he was ready to go run back to Lauren. But the fact that he seemed completely unmoved by her being upset was the exact same way he seemed to feel about saying I love you to three different people as he like probably boned each of them in the fantasy suites every night. <laughs> okay, but here, let me but let me play this out for you because every single season of The Bachelor usually ends with somebody standing in a wedding gown or on, on one knee about to propose and getting their heart shattered. And the person, they may tear up, they may feel bad, but eventually... Like they move on and they're just in the arms of somebody else. So right, because the show itself is totally fucked. Yeah. So like, I guess <laughs> that should I, not I think, be normal in any capacity for anyone to do that. If Ari had just been stone faced like that on a beach, I don't think he gets the. I guess I'm just wondering. Like, I think he was a victim of the of look. Clearly, he he proposed and he he backtracked. A lot of people are not going to like that indecision and and that like lack of commitment, and they think Becca got screwed. But if he had had the same reaction on a beach and then just boringly proposed to Lauren, I, d I think everyone's like, what a boring season of The Bachelor. And he's not America's like number one romantic villain. All of that is calculated after the fact. You know, he yeah. wasn't acting that way because it was better for the show. He was acting that way because I think he's the sociopath who's self-centered <laughs> and manipulative. Yeah, right? and, and I'm also, the sociopath like, I'm who likes that breakup. Right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I'm worried for your wife, actually. But... The other thing I was curious about, and I don't know if you were thinking the same thing, is when they are post-engagement and they're spending time together, which I found out years ago from a guy that I was dating, I think I told this on my last podcast, who said on my MySpace page that they use the names of famous lovers to check into hotels when they can't reveal themselves yet. Mm. And then he ended up getting fired from his job with The Bachelor because weird Bachelor crazies were on his page looking for facts. <laughs> and then they told everyone. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. So when they're in that phase where they're like like hiding around and meeting up in secret places until they can be revealed, are they usually being taped? I understood for the one where they knew what he was going to do why all the cameras were there. And then I understood that it looked more like a, a, a phone recording when they were lying in the hammock. Right. And then when they were pulling the pizza dough, that looked like a friend or like 
someone that they knew was holding the camera. It didn't look like a professional camera, but it still was weird to me. Are they, is there usually a third party and is it weird for them? And are they told in advance, we're probably going to tape you as you're hanging out. Like maybe that was something they were going to do new this year. Let's take a look at what they've been doing since we last saw them. Right. Oh, look at all these fun moments they've had. Um, because otherwise when she was, they, they probably just told her, Hey, we're bringing the full camera crew to check up on you guys for this particular hangout at this beautiful lodge that you're not actually ever going to stay in because you're going to get broken <laughs> up Airbnb. with. And then we're going to film you on the camera in the, on the airplane, in the middle seat, by the way, like, sorry, you just lost your engagement. We're going to stick you in the middle seat and then film you as you're flying home. <laughs> um, that, like all of that seemed odd to me. And I don't know if maybe they always do that. They just never get any good footage. So they don't use it. That was weird. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think everyone agrees that if he had been more sensitive, he would have insisted he breaks up with her off camera. I'm just as an entertainment vehicle. I was like, OK, th this is interesting. And I also don't you think this is just better for Becca, though? Like, I, I couldn't watch this. 100%. and be, I couldn't watch this and be She's too way sad. too interesting for him. Yeah. She's cool and funny and beautiful and smart. And she's going to find someone way better. And she's going to probably get a, a real crack at being the Bachelorette, which I think is the far greater prize than like marrying the dude on the batch on the Bachelor, right? Well, I agree, except for we don't actually know her feelings. And while we may think that Ari is a gigantic psychopathic tool, that doesn't mean that she didn't truly fall in love with him and think that he was the one and that it, if he had reci like reciprocated, that they wouldn't have gone on to a very happy life, which is the goal more so than I get to be the Bachelorette. Right. Because what if she goes on the bachelorette and has a connection with nobody the way that she did with Ari? The odds, in my opinion, of them picking 25 people and one of them being someone you fall in love with as deeply as you did with this person who you wanted to get engaged to and you were heartbroken by is really slim. It seems to work out somehow, or at least it does for the period of time for us to enjoy the show until like three months later they break up. because It was totally a charade. But to me, the end goal is to fall in love and to have it be real. And so while we might not think he's cool. I'm sure you have plenty of friends that married someone and you're like, well, we don't see it, but hey, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, I would still rather be her being like, you know what, I'm going to take my chances with 30 beefcakes and maybe bang a few. And if and it doesn't work <laughs> out, I'll get a I'll get a, a Chobani, uh, you know, endorsement deal out of it. Endorsement oh. deal. Right. I mean, I agree with you in terms of if Ari is as much of a tool as he seemed and if she was just caught up in the show, which so many people are, right? I mean, all of their dates were like Italy and Paris and right? right. Like, you know, like that 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 kind of gets you caught up in it. And so if he ended up being as lame as we all thought he was and she ended up falling out of love with him, then yes, this is much better. But we don't know for sure because, you know, that, that doesn't always happen that way. Some people fall in love with someone who's lame and they never find someone else like that really to replace them. <laughs> So as your unofficial PR rep here, I'm going to give you some PR, some PR advice for Ari that I, I like that I think he's getting too much flack for. So if I had been counseling him, I would have said, OK, great. You dumped Becca. It's going to look bad. Propose to Lauren, like commit or else you're going to look even more wishy-washy. And he did. And I feel like the worm turned and that made it even worse somehow. And I got to say, I was blindsided by that because Kimmel is telling Wait, him. Wait, so you thought that it would have been good PR for him to propose to Lauren on the show that I day. thought if he That's just, how you would have told him to do yes, it. Yes. I thought if he dumped, and now whether he does it that night or whatever, I right. would have said, if you but break so up with Becca, you... commit. Like you left her for your wife, not for uh, like some girl that you want to keep fooling around with. So when you, but when you watched it did you process it as a good or bad thing before you heard anyone else's reactions to it i thought okay i guess he's really serious about this like okay i thought uh what's his name uh, jason mesnick when he's sitting on yeah. the couch and he says do you want to give it a shot i guess we'll date that felt so much more wishy-washy and weird than ari being like you know what i left you i left her for you Meaning this is more about you than it was about dumping her. And I and I was shocked to see everybody just really clown him the way they did. So I was wondering what you thought about it. Oh, I was full clown mode. <laughs> full, full, full clown mode. Yeah, I completely disagree with you because I think a, sh a public show of commitment is exactly what got him in this issue in the first place. He didn't feel ready. He decided that, and I don't know if it's contractually obligated by the show. In fact, I would guess that it is now. Yeah, I don't think it too. always was. I think at, at some point you weren't forced to do that. And now they have said, when the show is over, 
you got to propose to somebody. That's my theory for why Peter was not the bachelor because I think right. they yeah, were like you have to Because he's a normal human being. Yeah, yeah. Nego- they said he's negotiations. Yeah, they said negotiations broke down or or my source reality Steve did. And I was like, "Well, what are they negotiating? <laughs> like it must be marriage or money, like I don't know." Right, right. So, um I think what they, what got him in trouble in the first place was the fact that he was whether contractually obligated or not forced into a proposal that he wasn't ready for. And he made that decision probably based on his family telling him Becca was right and the fact that Becca was all in and Lauren had had some concerns. Then he realizes he was wrong. He breaks someone's heart and like ruins her life, at least temporarily, and then immediately jumps into making another unnecessary, non-contractually obligated decision that I thought within instant, like instantly when seeing it, I was like, don't do this. This is so dumb. And I get your (laughs) point that like committing is good, but Nobody was going to doubt his commitment, especially if he had just said, listen, I'm, I know that this is a, a terrible decision and it's hard to make and I'm hurting somebody, but I need to make the right decision for my heart. Then we're all like, OK, he's finally doing the right thing that like that's smart and he's going to dive you know, headfirst in and see what it's like with Lauren. But now I'm like, what's going to happen when you have two and a half months or whatever it is, two months alone with Lauren? Are you going to do the same thing you did with Becca? Like for all right. we know that what happened with Becca was because they weren't in Paris anymore and it wasn't taped and it was just them hanging out as two people. And who's to say that's not going to happen with Lauren as well? Yeah, Why no, you, that's totally like, fair. I loved what Jimmy Kimmel said when he was like, like when you're out at a restaurant, does he order different dishes? Does he like not be able to make up his <laughs> mind? And she's like, she's like, oh, we haven't been to a restaurant yet. And he's like, oh, but that's smart then that you're engaged already. Like that's, I mean, I get it. Like you've, you've been on a show that like forces you to move everything faster than it should be, but you're not in that timeline anymore. Just relax, dude. Like you've already fucked over one girl. Like let's save another one for like maybe next year. Uh, Let me, let me just throw out there a couple, a couple people's just brands and what, what you think the re the, the, the sort of fallout's going to be for them. Let's start with Ari sports fans. I don't think, got to know him as a sports figure on the show any better. And I think in my opinion, like the question is, did, did he do anything to, to, to retain his sort of foothold with the audience of the bachelor and the bachelor fans to, to have a, a, a life, you know, in, in that, that universe now, it, what do you think the, the fallout's going to be for him as it pertains to both sports and like the bachelor nation? Well, I have no idea what his role is in sports anyway. I don't think he has one. I think, you know, because of the fame of his father or grandfather, whoever was the real good race car driver, he probably can show up at some stuff and they, and then now he'll have even more of a name, but the people in those places probably won't really feel connected to the bachelor or know what happened. So he'll be the same. He'll show up at a a car race or something and sign something or, or, you know, who knows? He'll, he'll do some stupid PR thing for that. So I don't think that'll be affected greatly. Um, I think if he were not, if he were to break up with Lauren, he would have an in for Bachelor in Paradise, if that still happens, or Bachelor Winter Games as the villain. But I don't think he will be able to redeem himself. The only possibility is that people who were watching that saw the way that Becca way too kindly let him off the hook and way too kindly forgave him, then they might think to themselves, okay, well, if she saw it in her heart to forgive him and to wish him good luck, then like maybe we should too. But even I think if he's not interesting, he's not funny. And if you aren't interesting or funny and you're a tool who broke someone's heart, like people are not <laughs> in a rush to forgive you. So I'm going to say he better be happy with Lauren and drive off into the sunset and not expect to be involved in this anymore because unless he gets brought back Mesnick style when somebody else does this. So what's the fallout for the show? Do, so they, they have in the recent years really played up their successful couples do do you do you feel like this was a win of a season for the bachelor or do you feel like you know it it was a it was a sort of a missed opportunity with the fan base no i think this is you know what we see with this show is that people get tired of the same old same old and they always try to find some way to change it and I personally have had trouble with that at times because I don't need someone's ex flying in and us being convinced that some guy really paid for his own flight and knew where they were staying and walked across the desert. And, you know, I don't need that to make it more interesting. Right. So when they keep adding these twists because they think people are bored, I actually find it less interesting when than when it's more straightforward. But I understand that other people don't feel that way. And the way that reality TV is going, it gets crazier and crazier and people want you know, the most over the top thing they can find. Um, So I think for the show, it's probably beneficial. People are talking about it in a a new way. The unedited footage 
totally made us see things differently. And, you know, it opened up some new doors for how they're going to cover things in the, in the future. So I think this is actually really good for the show because it also felt very real, right? People make fun of the yeah. fact that people don't end up together, but a lot of them actually have like a fair amount of couples do this completely artificial and totally weird and random and like odds against you setup have found love and stuck with it, which is better than you could say for almost any other tact that people take to find it. Um, so I think this being realistic, which is, oops, I messed up. I want this other one, um, is probably just going to bring more people in. If it's not Becca, is there anyone else you, you would want to be the bachelorette? It is Becca. They already announced it. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Get it together, Burke. I know. Look, man. Now, my... Did you even watch the entire finale? She met some of the guys. She rode a horse side saddle. A guy played a banjo for her. You know how it goes, man. I... Listen, you're going to edit this after post. No, I got kids. I got <laughs> I, got, I got four hours of commuting. You know, it just, I just, I fall asleep. You know, I, I rely on my wife to like tell me what, you know, how'd that end? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, no, no harm in editing out. And we are back. In the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, they all talk about things that they love, and we call them distractions for liking things that aren't game film. We think that's hogwash on Just Not Sports, which is why every week we celebrate the things that are distracting us. So, Gareth, why don't you kick us off this week? What's, uh, uh, what's distracting you? I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I think it's been a distraction, but it bears noting. We just celebrated the 20th anniversary of the release of The Big Lebowski. It is my favorite film. I saw this at home in Hamilton, Ohio, when I was home for spring break, my freshman year of college. I went with my mother for a matinee. The opening week it was out because, frankly, it wasn't in theaters after one week in Hamilton, Ohio. And... I will never forget. I liked the movie a lot. I was way into it. I was digging it. And then the scene happened where he said, I hate the fucking Eagles. And I was like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. These people understand me in a way nobody <laughs> does. And it ended. And we stood up in the theater. And my mom was just like staring straight ahead blankly. And she was like, there was... So much swearing in that movie. Oh, I hated it. And she just took one look at my face and just said, same sentence. Oh, you loved it, <laughs> didn't you? And that, it's been my favorite movie. It's been out for 20 years. The jackass that's running the FCC and just stripped us of net neutrality apparently loves it too. That made me very sad, but it is what it is. God bless the Big Lebowski 20 years in yes god bless the big lebowski as well have By either the way, of you seen it what have, have we seen, seen the big Just, lebowski yeah dude big I've lebowski yeah yeah quite a All few right, times. Yeah. look well, no yeah, it's one of those know. things yeah exactly like everybody's got holes in their you know their canon or they're watching or like you know I'm hanging out with my my fellow dad in the area, and he's like a writer, and we dig each other, and we have a lot of the same tastes. And he goes, "Yeah, it's my, I hate it. It's my least favorite movie ever made." And well, I'm like I wouldn't be know, friends. I wouldn't be friends with that person anymore. <laughs> if it wouldn't, if it wasn't for our daughters being friends, I wouldn't be. But she'll get over it. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, amen, man. Uh, by the way, Donnie deserved to die. Uh, I'm glad he did. <laughs> Uh, I would just like to say before we move on too far, my like I always have a favorite scene that changes. My recent favorite has been when they go over to Larry's house to try to get the million dollars back. And as Walter walks in, they show the shot of the guy, the the iron lung. <laughs> he just says, 
does he still write? Oh no, he has health problems. <laughs> that has been when I need a laugh just sitting at my desk. That is something I think about. <laughs> uh, okay, Adam, what's distracting you? Uh, I just want to give a quick book recommendation. It's uh, sports adjacent, or well, I guess pretty sports related. So Alex Hutchinson is a writer who writes for Outdoor and a num- number of other magazines. He also he wrote a new book called Endure, Mind, Body, and the Curiously Elastic Limits of Human Performance. Um, Malcolm Gladwell writes the foreword to this book, and um, Alex explores uh, basically with the sub had said here of uh, things like the four minute mile that we never thought would be broken um, and the evolution of the athlete. And I think really focusing on the mindset of the athlete and high performers in any field. Um, And I just thought it was a really, I I think it's a really cool book about um, testing uh, and surpassing human performance and i'd recommend it as a good read to anyone who's interested nice i mean mine awesome. uh my distraction this week is going to be super current uh super i don't know wait, what you wait, would say Brad, just like stop like oh, the bread is it more current than a 20 year old movie <laughs> no <laughs> oh no twist it, it's gonna be right in the moment real time it is uh I downloaded Peter Frampton's uh, Do You Feel Like We Do for my iPod, uh. which I, I still have an iPod, guys. <clears throat> and <clears throat> here's the deal. You still buy music. Yeah. I don't get it off Napster. Adam has a secret Napster account that still works somehow. Man, there's a lot of bootleg options out there, guys. <laughs> Call me. Well, I would say this. Uh, <clears throat> Frampton Comes Alive is a terrible album. But Do You Feel Like We Do is an amazing song. And the talking guitar part through the end guitar solo is one of my favorite sections of music ever. But unfortunately, on iTunes, you have to buy the entire album to get the song. Any song over 10 minutes, that's the rule. But it's like, you know, it's like $7. So I was like, fuck it. Like, fine. I'll I'll, I'll spend $7 on this. Like, it's no big deal. Kelly, what is happening? Yeah, I mean, that's like Netflix money, man. I got to be careful. <laughs> it really is <laughs> like Netflix money. <laughs> I really got to be careful. <clears throat> but man, I rocked out to that song like in the at the gym on repeat, and I got like a good like you know a good like hour and fifteen minute workout in over five plays. Like it was good, man. I was pumped right. up. Okay. I, it, Brad, I'm gonna uh, I. You're coming in with a pretty hot take here, and as an avowed snob. I have to say, I agree with you 100%. I think the closing guitar solo of Do You Feel Like We Do is one of the best things you can hear on classic rock Okay, radio, Gareth, man. Gareth. That, after, that shit shreds. After the talking guitar part ends, when he goes full bar chords and he's like... Oh, baby, that's the good stuff. It's so good. That's good stuff. How do you? Uh, you'll hear no complaints yeah. from me, I'm, Gareth. One hundred percent, Gareth. And I'm. <laughs> this is shocking me as someone who once sat in the back seat of a car in the morning, in the mid morning after we drove all night from Michigan to Ohio, a UP to Ohio, and you you pulled your hair back into a bun, a man bun, the first man bun probably, and you said <laughs> with a huge cough in your hand. I'm driving us home to fish. <laughs> I'm shocked that you loved the Peter Frampton solo that much, but goddamn, it's great. Dude, it is it is it is awesome. Like, well, part of it is aging and you realize that being a snob is like sort of a dead end street and that you should be open to whatever makes you happy and that's frankly kids if anyone under the age of 30 is listening that's one of the best parts about getting old you can you can actually just like whatever you want it doesn't matter um you're there's no cool points being awarded but yeah the end of that song is just total 70s rock and roll shred fest that i will get off to every time so amen brother 
Amen. All right, that is our show for this week. Right now, let's end with some shout-outs. Gareth, any shout-outs for this week? Uh, Shout-out to Sarah Rinaldi. Let's go deep. Deep brackets. Shout out to the whitest conversation I've ever heard on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> that is saying something. And also shout out to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Lil Swanee, Meech, Ron Back, and my other cousin Ron. Whitest conversation, Adam. We once reviewed a Hulk Hogan Christmas movie on this show. <laughs> Yeah. What is conversation? Guys, Talking about mental health, Adam? Because that you is guys, a white problem. You guys just topped it. Hey Siri. <laughs> hey Siri. Google Peter Frampton. <laughs> All right. Booty in immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, poet laureate, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Together, right?